0: The Hills Have Eyes, 1977, with Nathan Little. This time around, it's The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. Nathan Little will go into what really surprised him when he rewatched it this time. And he exposes a truth we all knew. Sometimes Sometimes rabbits can really be a-holes. So let's let's get get going.
1: (laughs) I am joined in this bonus episode of the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. Fast, fast, fast. Nice. Thank you very much. I don't have to add any friggin' filtration to it now. By the one, the only, Nathan Little. Ooh, you got it right. You like that? What do you think I was going to say? Littell? <laughs> that have be great. Uh, Nathan Littell. Littell. I get a lot of Liddell. Liddell? Oh, okay. Okay, I can see that. Except there's no D. Yeah. <laughs> so, You'd Nathan, how the heck are you, man? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm nervous as hell. Well, uh, you should be, because the movie we are going to talk about tonight would make anybody nervous. In fact, I'm going to assume your nerves are purely where they're at because you just sat down and watched that movie because I forgot how brutal that movie can be.
2: It was a brutal movie.
1: Yeah. For its time. And by, I would say by today's standards, it's still pretty brutal.
2: Yeah. I would actually say it was uh, almost as brutal as the remake, even though the remake was kind of a torture porn movie.
1: Yeah. I never saw the remake and that was primarily why, because I got the vibe from lots of folks that that's what it was. And I felt that the original went there without, crossing that barrier to where I'm going to just not even want to look at the screen.
2: Oh yeah. They did a very good job on uh, holding the camera just far enough off to the side where you knew exactly what was going on, but didn't see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a lot of insinuation in the original Hills Have Eyes. So just in case for those, you know, listeners out there, because I would say actually of all the movies that are being covered in the bonus episodes, True, obviously, horror, horror fans are very familiar with the movie, but I, I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of folks out there who may have heard of it, but they don't necessarily know what it is, who directed, it, or anything like that. The Hills Have Eyes is 1977, correct? Yes, 77. Motion picture is directed by one Mr. Wes. I haven't done any other movies you've ever heard of, Craven, and it is the story. I guess the simplest way to put it is family on trip cross country heading towards Cali with their RV and station wagon ends up on a kind of nuclear testing site slash military bombing range. I think
2: they were just off the edge of it, but it did come up in the story. Yes.
1: Yes. And they have an accident all because of a bunny. Yes. (laughs)
2: Which I am going to talk about.
1: (laughs) Good. Because I didn't really I forgot about that. At first I was thinking, oh, was this crazy statement on the military's fault? And I was like, oh, no, it's a bunny rabbit. So
2: rabbits to blame for everything. Of
1: course. It's always bugs. Always got to blame bugs. And they crash their vehicle, break the axle and end up stuck out in the middle of this desert like area. They say the hills have eyes. I guess it's somewhat of a mountainous area. I mean, those aren't big mountains, so I guess they're closer to hills. And there are people. The Nevada deserts, they have hills. Yeah, there mountains. you go. Yeah, And I'm in Florida. You know, come on. I'm in Utah. Yeah, but see, you got mountains. I got orange groves and alligators <laughs> and mosquitoes.
2: And crazy people.
1: Well, yeah. I'm only only second to California. <laughs> you got me there. Well, the, the family crashes their vehicle and Unfortunately for them, it turns out they're not alone. There are people in them, our hills, and those people are hungry. And they have eyes. And they do. Well, I mean, yeah, several pairs, in fact. And so they, they look at them. What's that? Oh, I think all of them have pairs. Yeah, yeah. Nobody had an eye patch. Don't yeah. think I remember an eye patch. No, I don't either. Papa Jupe,
2: nope. But Mercury, did. you didn't really see his face.
1: That's true. He kind of does the crazy dance in his A headdress in the shadows but he doesn't actually he gets the beast takes care of him which that's something i actually wanted to ask you about so okay let's get into it so your thoughts on this way first when did you first see it and your feelings then and that's the best you can recall and now that you've rewatched it
2: all right uh i believe the first time no not believe i know the first time i watched this was at a sleepover party around halloween i think that i was about 12 So I was kind of, you know, Wes Craven, you're going to be getting a bill for my therapy.
1: (laughs) Uh, It seems to me that some of my worst slash best horror movie experiences all involved sleepovers of some sort, mostly with my friends, John and Jeff, because their mom was a former hippie and didn't give a crap about anything we did. So I recall being around that same age and we did a double feature. We watched one at night before we went to bed, it was sleepaway camp that traumatized me for years to come and followed the next morning by a movie called Pieces. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I've not even heard of it. To this day, I can't. The idea of watching it makes me get sick feeling just the idea of it. So I don't know. Did you have that same feeling with this. hey, had you seen Hills Have Eyes since you were a kid?
2: Well, I think I may have seen bits and pieces of it, but I've not seen it in its entirety until just this last week.
1: Okay. So what was your reaction to it?
2: Um, I was shocked at how violent it was. Um, it was before its time as far as, uh, the violence and the, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it horror, but the, the, the well, it is horror, but not in the, not in the same sense as like, uh, Jump scare. Yeah, I was really surprised by that.
1: Yeah, I think what's really interesting about that movie is the way Craven
2: a long time ago
1: does a pretty good job of the buildup to the real horror of the situation. And I think it's not until like, what do you almost like half into the movie before the real siege takes place? Right on their RV, and I don't I don't want to give away any major spoilers in these bonus episodes, but it stands to reason it's a Wes Craven movie. A family's car breaks down where there's crazy mutanty cannibal type. I don't know if they're mutants because I know the the remake they straight up are pretty much mutants, but this they're still relatively quote unquote normal. <laughs> they
2: almost set it up as if the uh, the father of the clan were almost uh, like a demon in this movie, more than a mutant.
1: Like, he was just born wrong. Right. Yeah. And when they lay siege to the RV, from then it's just a barrel shot downhill till the end of the movie. Right. Just from that moment on. But it's it's so brutal what happens because you're involving an older woman, an older man, a baby. <laughs> involving the baby almost made the movie not get filmed. Yeah, I could see that.
2: Yeah, I was doing a little bit of searching on a couple different sites, and there was uh, some... Uh, some people wanted some major rewrites because of the baby part.
1: Did they give any reasons?
2: Well, the baby originally died.
1: Wow. You see, that's that line, right? It's sort of with the uh, Dawn of the Dead, the original. I don't know if you're familiar with the alternative ending. In the original, the leads that escape die. Right. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the brain farting, rose was Gail, the female lead in the mall she stands up and decapitates herself in a helicopter it's like that movie was harsh enough without it ending on that note you know there's a fine line between horror and it's a fun ride and just complete and utter nihilism (laughs) so did you find out any other interesting trivia bits
2: let's see The movie was originally rated X when they filmed it for violence, and then they had to cut it down in order to make it an R rating so that uh, the major theaters would carry it, um, which the MPAA is a thing of it itself.
1: Well, I guess I the other question I'd have watching it this time, while it is very brutal, it's not particularly gory. No, not at all. I mean, it has some, there's some blood and some burned flesh, but it's not... I'd say the burned flesh was the worst of it. I, I would, I would agree with you. Actually, I would say that it's, it's more just the implications and the ideas and the way things happen and to whom they happen. Right. Makes it so troubling <laughs> throughout. And I've seen this movie. I used to own the special edition DVD of it. Cause it's one of my favorites and I probably have seen it. It's at least five or six times. And this is probably about the sixth time I've seen a total since I saw it the first time. Um, I never before picked up on something, which was there's two German Shepherds, right? Beauty and Beast, which after this movie, by the way, I totally because my wife and I like German. Sh- we have a great period. But we always we had a shepherd for a long time, about 14 years and he passed. And we, I always said I wanted to get a female just so we could, you know, name them that. Of course, he would have been confused because, you know, eight years into his life, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to start calling you Beast now. (laughs) So, but that's not the point. I just, I love the dogs in the movie. It was something I never noticed, which was you've got Beauty and Beast, and then the two kids, relatively speaking, the son, the younger son and and daughter, Bobby and Brenda. And the fact that, and I'm probably stretching here, but the idea and, and Craven does this kind of thing where he's trying to draw parallels. Like you have the civilized family and the more primitive. I don't know what you would call it. Uh, savage family. And, they, and the fact that the civilized fam, family is forced into savagery. They have to go to that level in order to even survive against this other family. So he always was drawing these parallels, especially in his early stuff. You know, He's trying to draw these parallels. So I feel as if the fact that Bobby and Brenda... And, and the parallels between them and these, you, you had the two dogs, which obviously are straight up animals, and what they end up having to do and be like against the characters that they they go against. I don't know. Do you feel like, did you feel like there was any parallel there? Did you pick up on that or am I completely, was I doing too much acid while watching it this time?
2: I, I don't know. I didn't really think about it at all. I did notice that uh, in their family, everyone was paired up, not necessarily paralleled, but in uh let's see, you had the both the parents yep and then you had uh uh the bobby and brenda mm-hmm. you had uh what's her name uh bobby and ethel i think her name was
1: oh ethel the mom oh no no no! That, what was the uh the the yeah the mother of the baby doug and d wallace d wallace stone was the mom right but i just can't remember what a character's name was i know doug was the husband with those awesome jorts that he's wearing at one point, right? Yeah. Oh, oh and
2: his awesome porn stash. Oh, I know. that was,
1: that was fantastic.
2: Uh, that's twice I've said porn on your podcast. Oh, is it? <laughs> I said a uh, horror porn, uh, no, oh, torture
1: no. porn, torture yes. porn, and two, no, totally porn, porn two totally different types of porn. they two totally different. Completely different. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Unless, let's, uh, well, I guess it depends on what you're into, but yes, I, I wish I could grow <laughs> a stash like Doug could. It was beautiful. Yeah. D. Wallace Stone is the actress who plays his wife. I just don't remember what her name was in the movie. Completely brain farting. And I'm too lazy to look it up. So, yes. So, really, and, and then of course the and dogs. The two dogs. Yes. Actually, that's but interesting. In the other family, they were
2: all individuals. They weren't paired up. I don't know if he was trying to pull a, you know, something out of society there where they're working together and they're working as individuals. I don't know.
1: Or I guess you could almost look at it as Papa Joop's clan. They're working as a collective unit. That even though they're not paired up in the sense of they're together physically. Well, they do they're... have
2: a uh, common goal.
1: Yeah, very much so. <laughs> now, what about the baby?
2: Uh, MacGuffin?
1: Yeah, or paired up with his binky. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering if in the original screenplay, they actually ate the baby. Like if it got killed and they ate it, or if it's just one of those, it just was in the in the melee
2: I did read a little bit about the original screenplay where the baby was supposed to die. And it was supposed to actually be a, uh, a ritual of some sort. So they didn't actually, they weren't going to eat it.
1: Like a sacrifice of some sort?
2: I, I guess. I'm not 100% sure. I do know that they were trying to uh, kill the other members of the family for food. The original In the original uh, screenplay, uh, let's see, uh, Jupiter, Pluto, Mars mercury they were all adolescent children
1: like within the when the story is taking place yeah and so oh. it's a bunch
2: of little kids hunting that makes this it family creepier there. oh that
1: yeah. makes it a lot creepier
2: but it, i think it's harder and more expensive to film something like that than
1: well and especially with the level of brutality in this i think that they would it, it would have been hard enough to get the r rating <laughs> with adults doing that to adults let alone having it be a bunch of 13 14 maybe 15 year old kids <laughs> Yeah, that would have been rough. That would have been hard to pull off. There was a movie called Who Could Kill... Well, the English translation, I don't remember the actual Spanish title, but it was Who Could Kill a Child. And it came out in 1976, actually, if I'm not mistaken. And it's a Spanish film about this couple. She's pregnant. They're in Spain on a vacation, as I recall. And one day they just decided to take a day trip out to this little island that's right off the coast that supposedly has this village on it. Well, when they get there, it's very Children of the Corn in that there's no adults around and only little kids running around and they learn pretty soon why that is. And it's called who could kill a child. That's all I'm telling you. And it gets (laughs) pretty intense, but I guess because it was European, they, they went there.
2: (laughs) They have a different set of standards over there.
1: Their attitude was, well, if those crazy little bastards want to come after us, we are going to gun them down. (laughs) So it went there. This movie did not. However, the ending also made me realize something because I also thought that Doug as a character, the fact that he, not that he came across necessarily as a peacenick, but he seemed like he in his day job would have been maybe a school teacher or
2: yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. Something very mundane, simple, uh, intellectual. He was not certainly not a man's man. I mean, the, the father was a retired cop. Who was he Cleveland? And, uh, <laughs> Obviously, a very racially sensitive man. Yeah, who shoots arrows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And oh, and and, and hillbillies throw dogs at him. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Hillbillies throwing dogs at me. Like, what? Well,
2: we have a pug, and my wife used to tell. She's a therapist who works with uh, parole officers. Mm-hmm. She used to tell them that he, she was training him to be an attack dog, and he would mount on the belt, and when needed, she would throw him. <laughs> It's like it's sling pug. Yeah, which I don't know how effective that would be. He would just get slobber on, on everyone.
1: Well, I think it would just because the startle factor would give you enough time to either run or bum rush. I think that's really what it pulls down to.
2: It probably would.
1: Because the guy's <laughs> like, you just threw a pug at me. Like, you'd have to process that for a minute. I don't care who you are. You're going to be standing there with your gun, your knife, whatever. You broke into somebody's house and they sling a pug at you. You're going to have that moment where you go, what, what the hell just happened? <laughs> So throwing dog hillbillies throwing dogs we learned that he is he is a tough man because of this, and he is he comes across as that sort of man's man you know cow, you know John Wayne type right and then Doug is certainly not that guy but by the end of it he unleashes this brutality now I've read interviews before and sort of academic analysis of this movie and interviews with Craven and, you know, Craven, I believe, was he, a, philo- he was a philosophy professor, I think before he became a filmmaker, right? Yes.
2: If I'm not mistaken, he was at least a professor of something.
1: Yes. I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was philosophy.
2: It was something to do with the mind.
1: Yeah. So- something to do with all them crazy ideas. I could see where all the social context, because especially when you consider the time, this is a handful of years after the height of the '60s and into the early '70s, with lots of turmoil, the counterculture has taken place, and I've and, and that there was all these underlying social tones to the film, right? Right. And even the moment, like when Papa Joop is talking at the camera, or so it seems, and of course it turns out he's talking to another character, as you know. Well, what's left of him, <laughs> and he's talking about how we'll destroy your children's children, and and that whole monologue almost, if you replace him with, say, like a Charlie Manson type, that that idea of the you know breaking the society down and trying to build it up in your own image and just complete anarchy and wanting to destroy the status quo that I think there's all that stuff in there. But there's also this part of me and maybe it's The Walking Dead's influence. I don't know. But Doug at the end, yeah, he loses it and he, he's gone brutal. But I think if you think about the psychology of it, that seems like a pretty normal response given the circumstance of adrenaline and just everything that would be pumping through the guy at that. Well, moment.
2: and you get his baby involved.
1: Exactly.
2: You know, as parents, I think I would probably fall into the same category as him by the end of the movie.
1: And maybe I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it a pressure to myself. I hope it doesn't come across the way it probably will. I, I kind of hope I would react on some level like that. It's that old idea. You don't know until you're faced with right. something that devastating. Some people think they would stand up and they run. Some people think they'd run and they stand up. You just don't know. But I, I, I like to think that even if it meant going where he goes. And and here's the thing. You have to live with that. Because even at the very end, that last moment, I understand the insinuation. He does what he does. Screen freeze frame. Red know tent to the whole thing it's like he's now an animal like them but within moments after that freeze frame goes away in in the world of that movie to me he would probably break down sobbing and he would be filled with remorse probably for the rest of his life as well as ptsd yeah, total PTSD. Exactly. So what I mean is, is that the insinuation is almost in that moment because he has become as savage as they are. But see, I don't know. Is he? It's like he's purely on survival mode.
2: Right. I yeah, I wouldn't say he ended up anywhere close to where they were. I would say his was just temporary, and that will take a little bit of time to get back from. But nothing like what the uh, the hill tribe people were.
1: Exactly. We're like him. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. I'm not alone in my weird interpretation of the movie. <laughs> Something else I came away from the movie with is the idea that Susan Lanier totally underrated. The Brenda character, to me, she has the best arc because she goes from this incidental in any other horror movie, she would have been off right off the bat.
2: Oh, yeah. She would be the first one killed. She's the... uh Drew Barrymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's the cute little, uh, I, I do not feel creepy for saying this, I'm pretty confident she was into her early 20s when they made the movie, but cute little teen sexpot type, right? And right. she would have died, and she's bubbly and borderline annoying, she doesn't quite cross into the, okay, let's get her gone, but she's you know a little... Annoying and
2: she does uh, scream quite a bit.
1: <laughs> she does scream quite a bit. And she turns into Barbara from Night of the Living Dead, which I freaking hate, even though it's understandable the moment why she does when she does. But there's a shift, unlike last on the house on the left, where the females were utter fodder, just victims for the brutality. The Well, no, even in that, the parents, I don't want to give anything away but the parents, some of the things that they do as far as they set up. But what I was going to get at is
2: specifically the dad.
1: Yeah, in, in the origin in Last House? Yes. Yeah, some of the things that he sets up. I'm getting to that idea that's a motif in many Craven movies to have the booby trap scenario, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. You go from this then into Nancy and in Nightmare on Elm Street and what she does by the end of that. But it's Brenda who has the idea. It's Brenda who sets it really in motion because Bobby is at a loss. He's like, Well I got a gun and two bullets. That's all I got. <laughs> He, he just doesn't have any ideas. She's the one who says, I've got an idea. And comes up with, quite frankly, I thought it was brilliant because it's, it's implied she came up with the pulley system thing and the blow the RV to hell with propane thing. And the match. That was awesome. I am not a mechanic.
2: But if the axle is broken.
1: <laughs> well, there's the front axle. Here's a key. But is that a rear wheel drive <laughs> station wagon? I have no idea. <laughs> is that even possible to do on that station wagon?
2: I don't know, but it would be required in order for that scene to happen.
1: So my guess is this is how the conversation went in the production office. I don't give a crap. We need to have (laughs) the guy get yanked across the desert floor.
2: Oh, and also, did it strike you as odd that her in her bright red shirt was the one standing up on top of the car as the uh, lookout?
1: Yeah, okay. (laughs) There is that. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's interesting, though? And I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Craven, because I know he's the kind of filmmaker that tends to think about this kind of stuff. There's that idea, first off, the red sign- being symbolic, right? right? So and the idea of her being I'm not even going to go the whole like Star Trek route of red shirts, but you know, the <laughs> fact that she's a target.
2: Right, which they actually set up pretty much in the introduction of the, uh, the Hill family.
1: Oh, and by the way, as soon as I heard the French fry comment, it made me smile per your email. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot she does say that. We're not gonna be French fries, which, which, by yeah, okay, yeah. we'll get it if we want to take a moment. The mom, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the whole fr- the whole French fry thing. But see, good, that's great foreshadowing because actually, a couple of you are. Yeah. <laughs> so the mom, what was it about her that bugged the crap out of me?
2: Could it be the fact that she was pretty much the one that set up? All of the bad things that happened,
1: I guess. No, it's not, not that. Necessarily it was that now. No, it she, was. It, it was more like just I don't know. if It was the delivery. I guess what it is I've known people like that who do that sort of. It's that weird passive aggressive. I'm super sweet and I only care to help you, and I just want to. I just, honey, it's okay. It's okay. but in actuality, they're just they're 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 almost like playing dumb. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm quite articulating.
2: Well, yeah, it almost kind of seems like the uh, old a way of thinking about things where the the man is the, or the Mm -hmm. husband is the man of the house and the woman is not supposed to talk except to uh, support the man and cook meals.
1: You know what it was? What's that? She was Edith Bunker minus the funny. (laughs) She was. She was Edith Bunker minus the funny. That's what annoys the crap out of me. And that's the same scenario you're talking about. Of course, the difference being in all in the family, they're making fun of it and it's done for laughs. Right huh, never Mm. realized that. But every time, I always forget that. I always forget that the mom annoys the crap out of me. And then I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, that's right. This movie, though, do you feel, I don't want to use the cliche of, does it hold up? But what do you feel? What is your response to this movie? Do you feel that it's too dated? Because obviously it's of its time. You can tell that.
2: Well, there are definite aspects of it that are dated. But overall, I think the movie held up really well. Specifically, the uh, cinematography And the way the story played out, obviously, it's different than how they would do it today, like the remake, (laughs) which won't even go there. But uh, yeah, I think it held up pretty well. I wouldn't necessarily say it was the best movie in the world, but it definitely held up as far as it kept my attention. The plot kept moving.
1: Yeah, it was always one of my favorite Craven films and and almost more for the ideas in it. And the fact that you could tell that there's something under the surface of it more than there's just more going on. Plus, I always thought that title was awesome. He he was very good. I don't know if it was him or he just had the right marketing slash producer folks. Because titles to me like Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare and Elm Street. They just I don't want to say they're poetic, but there's just they have a really good sound to them, and they're just they're phonetically satisfying. <laughs> they just they have a I don't know. There's just something about them. Synth music? You can't go wrong with synth music. <laughs> uh, the uh,
2: sound design was pretty decent for this movie, especially for the time. Uh, the time before my time. This movie came out two years before I was born.
1: Okay, I was a year old. But the good news is, the good news is, <laughs> Grooms was like, I think he was graduating college. His his doctorate, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Nathan... This was actually a lot of fun.
2: Wait, one more time. Bunnies are assholes.
1: Oh, yeah, you know what? We didn't even get that.
2: Yeah, we didn't really talk about it.
1: Yeah, real quick. Hit it, hit it. What did you want to say about the bunny? The
2: rabbit, well, two separate rabbits, set up two pivotal points in the movie. <laughs> one, the wreck, the car wreck at the beginning. That's what, the. okay, there's a
1: pilot that buzzes them and. twice. Which we won't even get into the fact that he was close enough, he would have seen them and probably seen them wipe out and would have called ahead to let somebody know. Oh, yeah,
2: that pilot knew everything and he left him there to die. He's the real I
1: sociopath.
2: Mean, yeah, that guy's in a hole too, but you know, they're swerving all over the place and they start to get control of the car and then all of a sudden there's a little black rabbit in the middle of the road and they swerve. Symbol. <laughs> yeah, you know, if there's a black rabbit in front of my car, I'm going right over that. And this is, this comes from someone who has a rabbit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I'm not going to wipe out my vehicle.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to swerve, you know, I'll, I'll have to wipe some, you know, blood off the fender or whatever, but, and then the second scene where the, the rabbit is a diversion mm-hmm. for, uh, um, Pluto.
1: Yeah. The, uh, Michael Berryman. I love Michael Yeah. Berryman. He's looking for, um, oh, I don't, is it Bob? Is, yeah. It's Bobby. I think. I actually think at that, no, I think at that point, cause he'd been attacked by beast. I think he's looking to see a beast. Is oh, yeah, around he was looking
2: him. for the dog because the dog was slowing them down. Yes. And so he's looking for the dog, and lo and behold, it's the rabbit. Oh, rabbit. And my throat's ripped out.
1: Well, and, and I think, and by the way, just so anybody listening who hasn't seen the movie, his throat's ripped out, not by the rabbit. Though that would have been awesome. money, money Python style. Uh, spoiler
2: alert, please. Yeah.
1: Spoiler alert. <laughs> Although in that moment, you could kind of say the rabbit was making up for it a little bit. Yeah, kind of. He was trying to. He's like, look, sorry guys, I got you kind of into this. I'm just going to help out a little bit.
2: Kind of like one of those fantasy stories where the rabbit's a god who's just toying with both sides. Uh, well, Maybe
1: again, <laughs> it's Craven. You don't know. Have you seen Cursed? <laughs> uh, I, not for, no, not I, on purpose. That that that, that, was, that was the that was the Christina Ricci werewolf movie that came out with Jesse Eisenberg a few years ago. Oh my god. It's oh awesome. yeah, I missed that one. Oh you did darn i didn't mm. oh i'm sorry <laughs> which i could get two hours back
2: well if i were there in person with you i'd give you a hug to comfort you
1: oh please just make it stop why how do you take rick baker werewolf and turn it into cgi why eh, it's cheap yeah
2: it's easier makes me
1: well nathan thank you again oh you are welcome and you made it you did not throw up that I know of. If you did, you were very quiet about it. You may have hit mute. And it didn't affect the mic. That's all I care about. You may have peed yourself a little. That one I can't verify.
2: Um, nope, still dry.
1: Okay, good, good. I like that you actually took a moment there to check. Yeah, we're good. Well, you too. And we will have to uh, do this again. Well, thank you for having me on.
0: Thank, thank you, for, you joining for joining us for this, this special bonus episode, episode of the 2014, 2014. Spooky Fest, and a special thanks to Nathan Little, for his excellent insights, and for not vomiting all over Hammond's Mac. Looking for more spooky fun? Why not head on over to ForgottenFlix.com, where you can sign up to receive free updates, and something horrific delivered to your inbox. Every Every day day in October. October. See you soon.